You're listening to a weekly podcast made by Miami Dolphin fans for Miami Dolphin fans. Your source for entertaining Dolphin news, insight, and general conversation. Here's your host, Michael Fink. Hey everyone, this is Mike with the Fin Fans Podcast. Uh, this evening, I've got Jim Johnson with me. Hey all. And Lewis Ergon. Hi, Dolphin fans. Tonight we're going to do a what-if show. What if? That's the question we ask ourselves. And uh, each one of us have, have come up with a couple of what-if scenarios, and we'll go ahead and uh, explain them to you in a few moments. But first, we want to talk about uh, Xavier Howard. Uh, the team has signed him to a contract extension. Uh, Jim, you have the numbers? Yeah, basically, it it originally came out as a five-year deal for $75 million, and he was the highest-paid cornerback ever in football. And that, you know, once the details filtered out, it's actually basically a six-year deal because it's an extension, not a new contract. You know, the total number is $76.5 million, but it plays out over six years. Realistically, it's it's about $12 million a season, which is a pretty good number for the Dolphins as a team. There's a lot of incentives and guaranteed money for Xavier Howard, so it's good for him. I think it's a great signing. I really don't see any downside to it. Yeah, I'm in agreement with Jim totally in regard to the signing. Um you look not, at, con- not concerned about his health? No. You know, I mean, in, in, the, in the NFL, you got to be concerned about <laughs> everyone's health. It's a week-to-week thing, and, you know, one little slip-up and uh, their season's done. But if you look at our team and you look at the players that are on the roster, there's three guys that I feel have to be with this team going forward. You know, Howard would be number one on my list, and then Tunsil and Drake would be two and three. Past those guys, you look at this roster, there's not a lot of guys that uh, you feel that way about. Alonzo? And, <laughs> and, and we, wow. we, we all, we all uh, know uh, you're excited to see Josh Rosen play. Well, I'm, you know, again, Rosen, it's out there with him. You know, the verdict, you know, we'll we'll look at him this year and, and at the end of the season, we'll see, you know, we'll see how we feel about him. But the point I'm trying to make is, is that Howard was probably our number one priority, probably our best player on either side of the football. And he signed, he's under contract now for the next five years. And now we can concentrate on going elsewhere. You know, when you lock in a guy like that at a corner position, it's something now we don't have to worry about going forward. If he had walked, that's another big hole on, this, on right. our it's defensive side. It's a tough position side. to fill. Oh, absolutely. And he's in the top 10, if not the top five, in my opinion, in regard to cornerbacks. Now, you know, with, with the fact that Tunsil is still unsigned, you know, we've still got a few options with him going forward. But again, past those couple of guys – there's nobody on this roster that I feel that strongly about whether they, you know, whether they're here or not in a few years. Um, you know, I don't know how you guys feel in regard to anybody else. Maybe there's somebody I'm missing, but I, I can't really think of anybody else. Well, Fitzpatrick on defense might be somebody you throw into that category. Oh, yeah, Fitzpatrick, right. He is somebody that I did forget without a doubt. But um, so, you know, we've got basically four guys on the roster 
that I feel truly strong about in regard to going forward. When we start becoming a solid team in the NFL and we make that turn towards that, you know, those four guys, I think, have to be part of the equation. Past that, I'm not so sure. Everybody else has big question marks around them, so we'll see. But in regard to answering a question, absolutely. Every, every doll fan out there has got to be happy about the signing. Without I think a so. I, and the consensus, I think, is A+. plus. Yeah. And, you know, it's not our money, Dolphin. So, you know, what <laughs> do we care what he gets paid? You know, the bottom I, – and I do understand that, you know, it's like putting a puzzle together in regard to, you know, putting the roster and, you know, paying one person more money and, and it, an obscure amount of money does affect the rest of the roster. But this is a very, very uh, friendly contract for both sides. So – I loved it. Yeah, they say it's the highest contract for a cornerback, but it's not an excessive contract if you look at it. It's a smart contract for both sides, and, and I think it was it was smart. They can get out of it if they need to, and uh, I like the contract. I have no problems with it. Uh, you know, like I said, cornerback is a tough spot to fill, and if you can get a guy who you believe is going to be a lockdown corner, uh, that helps the hell out of your defense. So I think it's a no-brainer. Yeah, if if you've got a guy out there on the field that can take away the best offensive receiver on the other team, you know, that's that's worth whatever you got to pay him. It makes it easier for everybody yes. else because that safety can help somebody else who needs help instead of worrying about, you know, that side of the field. Exactly. Yeah, you you brought up Fitzpatrick, Mike. So yes. now you now you're looking at two guys in the secondary that you can build around. And you can, you know, up front, you have to get better. There's no question about it. But if you don't have to worry about the secondary as much going forward, you know, you concentrate on these other positions. And there you have it. You have to have some kind of foundation. And those two guys, you know, Fitzpatrick as well, be a great foundation for that defense. Agreed. All right. So... As I said before, you know, we came up with some what-if scenarios. And uh, the first one that I came up with, I mean, going way back to 1970, is what if Joe Robbie couldn't sign Don Shula? Uh, What would have happened to the Dolphins? And and we'll get to that in a moment, uh, but let me give you some history real quick. Uh, Bill Brocher, who was a uh, reporter for the Miami Herald, uh, was in front of Robbie with some other reporters, and, and Robbie had asked the group uh, who might be an exciting coach who could, you know, basically change the direction of the franchise because George Wilson basically was not getting it done. And uh, it was Brocher who recommended uh, Robbie look into Shula because he had got waves from his people up in uh, the Baltimore area that Ursay had pretty much ha- had enough with Shula. And, of course, this stemmed from the Super Bowl three loss where, you know, Namath beat uh, the Colts and embarrassed uh, uh, Shula. He contacted uh, Don, and, and Don was quite interested. Um, at that point, Ursay was out of town, and uh, I guess uh, Shula and Robbie got to talking, and, and they came to an agreement, and uh, the rest is history. But, uh, you know, uh, the league got wind of what was going on, and uh, – 
they charged the Dolphins with tampering, and uh, it cost them their their draft pick and number one draft pick in 1970. Uh, and you know, Ursay obviously had had an axe to grind because uh, he he wasn't happy with the situation. But uh, the Dolphins got Shula, and uh, as I said, the rest is history. But what would have happened if, if Don had decided no, he was going to stay in Baltimore? Uh, I, I think, you know, it would have been a real tough spot for Robbie because there were just not a lot of coaches available. It's not like today where 25% of the league changes the coaches. Uh, in 1970, including Shula, only three coaches changed hands. Uh, and, and the two other coaches that were hired, you've never heard of because they were nobodies. Uh, so it would have really put Robbie into a, a tough, tough position, and he probably would not have gotten a quality coach to take Wilson's place. Uh, now, assuming that the case, what would have happened to the franchise? Because the Dolphins at that time were not drawing a lot of people. They were drawing thirty-five, maybe 40000 to a game. And I don't know how much you know about Joe Robbie, but he, he was not a wealthy owner at that point in time. He was a, a lawyer in Minnesota and, and basically saved his pennies to, to buy the Dolphins. He needed help from uh, uh, entertainer, uh, what was his name, Joe Thomas? Uh, no, I'm sorry, Danny Thomas. And uh, uh, he couldn't have done it by himself. So that tells you the financial uh, situation that Robbie was in. You know, he, he basically put all his money together to buy the franchise. And uh, he was not going to survive it long if they didn't become successful relatively quick. And that was part of his motivation for, you know, looking to make a change. Uh, so, you know, had, had he not been able to get Shula, I wonder how long the Dolphins would have been able to stay in Miami. Maybe they would have become the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Who knows? <laughs> what do you guys think? Well, Mike, Don Shula's a legend. Uh, do we have to say any more than that? Well, what do you think would have happened had uh, Robbie not been able to lure Shula away from the Colts? The, the Dolphins would have had serious issues. Um, I don't. I don't know what the attendance situation was prior to Shula being here. You may know that more than me because I didn't start going to games until '79, and you know I don't remember, you know, how we were doing attendance-wise. If you well, know, that's we, true. You were still in New York, but they they were drawing maybe thirty-five, forty thousand a game at that point, if that. Right. So with Shula coming here, obviously it brings a lot of excitement. To the area and you know the fact is is the guy changed you know our whole history around uh how many head coaches do you put up there on that pedestal with don shula you know there's chuck Knoll, tom landry you know obviously belichick nowadays but there, there's they're few and far between so when you're talking about maybe the greatest coach Ever in the history of football, and you know, I I would say he probably is. He is too. Um, you know, it had a major effect on where we went thereafter, and where we would not have gone had he not come. He brought instant respect to the franchise, and they turned this franchise around in six years from the time they were born. Uh, that's unheard of. Yeah, the biggest thing when you think of the Miami Dolphins. You have to think of it as Don Shula's Miami Dolphins. Uh, he took that franchise and, and turned it into an undefeated Super Bowl season. 
you know, 300 and some odd victories, you know, greatest coach ever, you know, it's 25 years of stability and respect. And, and that is something that it's just an amazing feat. And to think about what might have happened or what could have happened if Joe Robbie couldn't have, have landed Don Shula, you know, that's, that's an abyss that I don't, I, I don't even know what would have happened. You know, like you mentioned, it, it could have been the Tampa Bay Dolphins or the Jacksonville Doc Dolphins or anything. So, yeah, you know, we don't even want to go there. Uh, wonder, it's hard wondering. to imagine. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to imagine. Especially, uh, especially when, you know, even if, even if we were, you were around at that time, you know, you got to think back 40, 50 years now. That's that's a stretch of the imagination to to try to think about what, what might have happened if Well, if remember, Shula you know, Miami in. at that point in time was mostly a Cuban city. Right. And uh, most of them didn't know football. They knew soccer. So right. they, they had to find a draw, you know. they had, they had had And they thought they were doing that by, you know, getting Manny Fernandez. And, of course, he wasn't even Cuban, so that didn't work. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> well, it, it sounded like kind of like it, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it it's what they had in mind when they signed him. But the the bottom line is, they had to find a way to get the fan base uh, behind the team. And had they been losing all those years, I wonder how they would have done it. Now we know what happened. I mean, obviously they went undefeated in '72. Shula actually turned the program around in 1970. They they had a winning season. They had another winning season in 71 before losing in the Super Bowl to Dallas. They went undefeated in 72. They won another championship in 73. And Lou is going to talk about 1974. Why don't you take that, Lou? Mike, before before we go forward with that, let me just make one other comment in regard to Don Shula. Um, to put this whole thing in perspective, do you guys have any idea how many – career wins both playoffs and regular season that bill belichick has do you know what that number is i think he's i think he's like a hundred behind don he's not a hundred behind them he's 55 career wins behind them now that includes playoffs and that includes regular season games now dolphins only played 14 games right back which is exactly what i was just going to (laughs) say back in the day so Belichick, as great as he's been, and as long as he's been around, he's still 55 career wins behind Don Shula. So, you know, that that puts things in perspective for some of the younger fans that maybe didn't see Coach Shula coach, you know, the team. Um, you know, you're you're he he was just incredible. And just the way he went in different directions with different personnel. Guy was just an incredible, incredible coach. Um, and he kind we'll and he kind of got he kind of got run off at the end too. I think he could have been a still could have been a successful coach for another few years, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I'd agree. Agre- with that. Agreed, agreed. You know, they had a bad playoff game up in Buffalo, and that was uh, that was the end. To you put know? it in current perspective, okay, he was in the playoffs three of his last four years. Now, granted, his team lost and in some cases was embarrassed, but he was still in the playoffs three of his last four years. We can't say that for a long, long time. So, Yeah, and you know. it's it was very frustrating as fans to have, have Dan Marino and not go back to the Super Bowl every year, but 
he was still in the playoffs and managing his team well. And, you know, what do we have after he left? So, uh, you know, to throw him out like we did at the time was just uh, disrespectful as far as I'm concerned. No question. No question. Okay. So 1974, let's go back. So we were coming off of two straight Super Bowl victories. We start the 74 season. And what happens in week one of 1974, Mike? Do you remember? Coming off of two straight Super Bowls. I believe we lost. <laughs> we did. I we believe lost. we lost to the Raiders. No, we actually we lost to New England. So we start, okay. the, we start the season 0-1. The 74 season, we, we wind up 11-3, which is basically the second best record in the AFC behind the Oakland Raiders, who were 12-2. and The Pittsburgh Steelers wound up 10-3-1 that year. So they were basically the third-best team in the AFC. And then Buffalo, back then they only had one wild card. Buffalo was the wild card. Now, back then, and this was the last year they did this, they had some type of yearly rotation to where certain teams would get home field advantage rather than going by record. Yeah, it so was done by division. It was done by division, and it, it was really a weird way of doing things, and thank God they changed this. So what happens is Pittsburgh goes on, and they play. They were the third seed. They play the fourth seed, Buffalo. They win that game. Miami and Oakland, who were the number one and number two seeds, play each other. So Miami travels to Oakland, and basically it's to see a hands game. That's, that's what it was nicknamed. What happens is the Dolphins lose with less than 30 seconds left to the Oakland Raiders, uh, a game that went back and forth. It was, it was a really, really interesting season because uh, both Nat Moore and Benny Malone, two of my favorite players, were both rookies that year. And they both had really, really good seasons for rookies. Opening kickoff, Nat Moore returns it for a touchdown. The next possession for Oakland, they get the ball. Stabler throws an interception. Dick Anderson picks it off. Jake Scott, our all-pro safety, goes down on the play very early in the game. Now, that was of major importance because the Raiders really didn't do much in that game. They hit on a few big plays, one being a Cliff Branch touchdown, and they had a couple of really bad pass interference plays downfield because we had some guys in the game that really shouldn't have been in there. Um, it affected the game incredibly. The Dolphins basically dominated them. But in the end, Stabler throws a touchdown pass with literally four or five Dolphins all over their running back. Stabler's falling to the ground. Den Hurd is dragging him down. And he just throws a ball up in the air in the end zone and his running back comes down with the football and we lose and our Super Bowl run is done. Now we also went to the Super Bowl the year prior to the two wins. We lost to Dallas. So this, you know, this this was significant to a lot of people because the Dolphins had been to the Super Bowl three straight years in the AFC and their run was basically over at that point. Now, the what if is had we won that game and we probably should have, what happens thereafter? The following week Pittsburgh would have come to Miami. Now, the teams were both very, very evenly matched. You know, the Dolphins 
were the number three offense that year. The Steelers were the number six offense. You know, defensively, the Steelers were one of the best defenses in football. They had the number two defense. The Dolphins had the number six defense. They were very evenly matched. The thing is, is that you have home field advantage. You have a lot of veteran players on that Dolphin football team. You know, my guess is they probably win that game. And if they do, they go on to play Minnesota, who they dominated in the Super Bowl the year prior. The Steelers wind up playing Minnesota. They dominate them. I think Minnesota scored six points over the course of that game. I believe the Steelers beat them 16-6. to The Steelers didn't light it up either. So it was a 16-6 victory. Now, had the Dolphins somehow won that game in Oakland, and as I said, they probably should have, there's a good chance that we would have had four straight Super Bowl appearances and three straight Super Bowl wins. And unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. But when you, when you look at our history, that is one of the games that literally, by inches, it just changed everything. We, we did not wind the following year after that playoff game. We wound up going 10-4. and four. A lot of the guys that were on all the Super Bowl teams started to get old. They got injured. We started well, replacing them. not only that, them. but the World uh, Football League took uh, Zonka, Kick, and Warfield. Exactly. They took all three of them. So there was a changing of the, uh, of the guard there. And the interesting thing about that, Mike, going back to Don Schuler, is the fact that is he, just like you said, he lost three of his key, key players on the offensive side of the football. But yet, what did the Dolphins do in 75? They went on and they went 10 and 4. And that shows you, you know, again, an, another example of what a great coach he was. They go 10 and 4 and they lost a tiebreaker to the Colts. So they don't make the playoffs the following year. And then from there, after that, we had a couple of down seasons. Yeah, but because the, the defense got old. The defense got old and the offense lost a lot of key players. I mean, what's interesting, Mike, even in that 74 season, and I don't remember, uh, you know, exactly what took place with Greasy, but Greasy had two bad years where he threw as many interceptions as he did touchdowns over those couple of seasons. So I don't know what was going on with him. I don't know if he was playing injured. But uh, he had some kind you know, he had some really tough years. Well, I know in 74 he had a bad shoulder. Right. Right, uh, because I, he I was playing. So. He was playing that game with a bad shoulder. If you watch him getting up, you guys went to help him up, and he shook him off because he didn't want them touching that arm. You know, he was really in a lot of pain. Right. Yeah, and in '75, he didn't have Zonka to hand the ball off to, so he was probably throwing the ball a bit more. Right. They, uh, you know, but to me, you know, the fact that they lost the game on basically the last play of the game, and it it truly affected what took place thereafter in regard to the playoffs and the Super Bowl. I honestly, honestly believe that we had an extremely good chance at winning a third Super Bowl had that ball fall, fell incomplete on that pass. Well, you know, before that game, they were billing it as the real Super Bowl. Yes, exactly. Exactly. They billed it as basically Super Bowl eight and a half or whatever. Yeah, uh, because. They felt that the Dolphins and the Raiders were the two best teams in the NFL. And there you have it. There you have it. Oh, I will tell you this, and, you know, this is not easy to admit, but, you know, it's the only game I ever cried after. I was 14 <laughs> years old, and, man, that game tore me up. Oh, a- absolutely. Tore me up. 
But, you know, you, what, what I didn't mention is is that Miami went ahead with less than two minutes ahead. Benny Malone, again, yes. who was a rookie, ran down the sideline. I'll be yelling at my TV, fall down, fall, fall down. down. <laughs> right. It was, like, it, was, it was like a 36-yard run. We were moving the football really well, and we scored too quickly. And um, what what also is interesting about that, Mike, is that when I when I sat down with Charlie Babb recently, he was a guy that wound up coming yep. into the game and and replacing on the bench and replacing Jake Scott. He told me that there were other issues on that last drive of the game because the Raiders didn't really put any real big drives together that whole day. And then on the last drive of the game, they were able to move it. They said that he told me that Mike Colin was out for whatever reason as well, and they replaced him with Larry Ball. And right. on three different occasions on passing situations, Larry Ball was not in the right place, and uh, they wound up getting nice big chunks of yardage on it. I think Baliknikoff, he said, had it like two 15, 18-yard catches on that I always drive. say you're only as strong as your weakest link, and that's just a perfect example of it. Exactly right. There was The Raiders were extremely fortunate in that game. Over and over again, because Miami, if you, if people, you know, it's on YouTube, the game, I believe, isn't it, Mike? I think I've watched it on YouTube since. And if you look at it, you'll see that the Dolphins, for the most part, should, you know, dominated that game and should have won it. Absolutely, they did. Yeah, they, they didn't manage the clock very well at the end of the game. And, and I think it cost them. Well, I don't know if it was clock management as much as, you know, they just broke that run and, you know, if Benny Malone doesn't run 36 yards and, you know, he runs half of that and then they got to, you know, manipulate the other half, then they run the clock out and they win the game. It just, it was unfortunate luck. Absolutely. Yeah. There, there was, like I said, they were, they just had a horse, the Raiders had a horseshoe up their butt that day and, uh, you know, it may have cost us a third uh, Super Bowl yeah. championship win. I mean, you know, you'll you'll never forget that play if you're a Dolphin fan because you had Stabler falling to his knees. I mean, his his knee had to be four inches off the ground, and the other end you had Cliff Branch, you know, in between three defenders somehow coming away with this this catch. It was Davis, Clarence Davis. Clarence man. Davis, that's right, the yeah. running back. Yeah. He looked to Branch initially. Yeah, no, no, I just and he was the names, and they but, they uh, had they had double coverage on him, so he. Ran back to the opposite side, and Den Herder basically had him tackled. And he was what I meant to say before was the Raiders had Bolitnikov, who was a great, great receiver, and they had uh, Branch, and you know that's that's quite a job for a secondary. Those are two class receivers, and uh, Stabler. Yeah, they had their work cut out for them that day, and they held up pretty well up until the end. That they did, and that was with, like I said earlier, that was without Jake Scott. Right, and it it definitely had an effect on the game. Uh, he he was lost on the very first possession, the Raiders had, yep. or the very first possession that our defense was on the field. He was done. Yeah, so, one. Well, I I firmly believe you know considering that we were playing on the road and considering all the injuries, I, we were absolutely the better team that day. It was just you know not meant to be. Agreed, and that's that's what made it so hard to lose. But anyway. Uh, what'd you have, Jim? Well, I had a couple of different things. I didn't go back to the seventies like you guys did. I I picked a little more recent things. That's probably a little fresher on people's minds. Why you gotta say it like that? Uh well, you know, these are my. Everybody th- remembers Shula. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. 
And but, Benny Malone? Come on, yeah, Jim. My, my deals are a little smaller changes, basically, you know, where a, a different draft selection changes, you know, the direction and the, and the team, you know, how it, how it materializes. You know, back in 2009, uh, we drafted uh, Vontae Davis. You know, we had the, I think he was the 25th pick and... You know, he played okay for us. He had some talent, but he wasn't very mature, and he didn't really apply himself to the game. Uh, He was with us four years and was out the door to Indianapolis. But, you know... He got in Philbin's doghouse because he had the pee. Yep, exactly. (laughs) Something, yeah. It doesn't really matter. But, you know, when I'm looking at this draft, I see a guy that was drafted number 26 immediately following... Uh, Vontae Davis, and it's a guy by the name of Clay Matthews. I think a few of you probably know the name. You know, when you look at it, you take Davis, who was a decent cornerback, uh, but never really impacted the team much. Uh, A guy like Clay Matthews would have immediately improved the middle of our defense and also would have most likely prevented the collapse of our linebacking group. when you look at our linebackers in you know from 2009 moving forward the next few years we had Kevin Burnett, Koa Mizi, Carlos Dansby, Danell Ellerby, Philip Wheeler, and then we did have Channing Crowder and Joey Porter for a couple of years, but Joey Porter was already in his 11th year in, at that time. It would have been a really good deal to have Clay Matthews. Of course, you know, looking back, it's always easier. But that single change of picks would have completely changed the direction of a team because, you know, the Dolphins struggled at the linebacker position for, what, ever since Zach Thomas retired. So, you know, that would have made a huge impact to the team. And you're looking down the draft a little farther in the second round, we... Number 44, we chose a guy, Pat White, a quarterback. Well, you didn't have to bring that up. Well, I, you know, you just look at these picks and you're like, oh, my goodness, Pat White. And and my comment in my notes here, I went, ugh. That's all I could think of was just ugh. And, you know, on the board at that time was a center, Max Unger, that was, you know, made some Pro Bowls, was a very good center. And another guy that a few of you may know, a running back that's been okay, I guess, is LaShawn McCoy. So these drafts and some of these choices, boy, it can go it can go wrong quickly. And, uh, you know, that was one of my what-ifs what is uh, taking Clay Matthews over Vontae Davis. What do you guys think? How, how would that have changed the Dolphins in that time period? Well, I think you said it. I mean, uh, you know, Clay Matthews obviously is an impact player. And, and, and I liked Vontae. Vontae had potential. And he went on to Indianapolis, and I guess he made a couple of Pro Bowls. But uh, he, he wasn't a fit here because, he, like as you said, he did have some maturity issues. And uh, uh, Clay Matthews didn't have those problems. He's, he's a leader. He's a hell of a player. He would have helped the defense for sure. The interesting thing that you mentioned to me was Pat White. He was drafted in that second round because I believe at the time we were running the um, – The Wildcat. The Wildcat, and they felt he would be – incredible to put in there with Ricky and Ronnie Brown, that he would be a nice fit. 
Obviously, that wasn't the case. So that draft pick there, to me, on top of the fact that, yes, we did pass up on a Clay Matthews, big, big mistakes, no question. Yeah, and it, it's not as impactful as as not getting Don Shula or not advancing to that 74 Super Bowl, but you know, it impacts the team for a whole number of years. Sure it does. And it's it's a huge deal to me. So, you yeah, know, I mean... I've got a couple of mistakes for you. You want to hear them? Uh, sure. Let's hear what you got, Mike. Well, the year was 2005. Now, Gus Farratt was our quarterback. Uh, we held the second pick in the draft, and we selected this uh, running back, Ronnie Brown. Later on in that round, uh, the 24th pick, uh, there was this quarterback taken by the name of Aaron Rodgers. Who? Aaron Rodgers. I don't recognize that name. Yeah, I think most people will, though. Now, (laughs) (laughs) if you use the standard trade chart, you know, that Jimmy Johnson came up with, our pick was worth 2,600 points. The 24th pick was worth only 740. Uh, So Miami could have traded down anywhere, but say hypothetically they trade down to 17. Uh, The Cincinnati was there, and they drafted a linebacker, David Pollock. Uh, and that pick had a value of 950 points. So uh, Miami could have had a surplus of 1,500 points. That's equivalent to three first, second round picks. In other words, the first slot, the second round. Three of them. Uh, <laughs> now, Frank Gore was selected in the first spot in the third round. We could have had Gore and we could have had Rodgers. We could have had more picks coming to us. Uh, instead of Brown and Farad, I wonder who would make that trade if they could today. You know, and then you had the additional picks, as I said. Now, in 2006, the following year, we drafted Jason Allen, and we could have had uh, Antonio Cromartie just three picks later. So, you know, had they made moves like this, I wonder if maybe Nick Saban isn't still the coach. <laughs> uh, you know, just like you said, these these mistakes just add up and uh, – they really do change the course of your team. And, and obviously, uh, Nick wasn't able to get the quarterback. They had the whole Drew Brees, uh, Culpepper fiasco. And, uh, you know, he's in Alabama now, and the rest is history. But, you know, had he played his cards a little bit differently here, I think he would have had a lot more success and might very well still be here. Without question. Think I mean, about would, would you rather have Aaron Rodgers over Gus Farratt and uh, maybe Frank Gore over Ronnie Brown? Well, Aaron Rodgers, over the last – how many years has he been in the league now? Well, like I said, this was 2005 he was drafted, so 14 years. Four- now, he, sat, he did sit a few years, and maybe he wouldn't have come in right away. Who knows? But uh, Just think – you know, you look at our teams over the last 14 years, and year in, year out, would a quarterback have made a, a difference on this team? And the answer is yes. We had some really, really solid teams that, with Aaron Rodgers added to the mix, would have been just above and beyond better. So, absolutely, it affected and us. And you would There's have had no the stability of Frank Gore as well. Exactly. And and the, the thing is, is that, <laughs> you know, just look at this year and, you know, the what we did in regard to the draft. How would we have approached it? How many coaches would have come and gone if Aaron Rodgers was here? Right. So, yeah, it's, you know, maybe we would have had more stability. Sometimes a quarterback makes head coaches and coaching staffs 
look a hell of a lot better Absolutely. than they act than they Absolutely. than they actually are. So yep. it, it would have definitely affected Tom Brady. Us. There's no question about it. I mean, a- any team in the NFL, you could say the same thing for you know in regard to Aaron Rodgers. So of course, absolutely, Mike. Very good point. I'm still mad we don't have Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> well, I've gotten over it, but you know, it's just the, the the point to it is not whether we should or shouldn't have had Aaron Rodgers, but the point is one or two mistakes on draft day can cost you for years and years and years, and uh, it just snowballs because you know you're still drafting quarterbacks. When had you drafted that guy, you wouldn't be. You'd be drafting something else, and the end result is you'd have a better team. Yeah, the trickle down definitely, yep. definitely, you know, makes big waves out, you know, a hundred feet away. All right, Lou, did you have another one? I did have another one, and we're going to go back to the the very strong possibility of another Dolphins Super Bowl appearance. So I went back to 1985. Now we all know who won the Super Bowl in 1985: Chicago, Chicago Bears. Chicago Bears. The Bears. So the Bears, and do I you, need to remind anybody who was the only team to beat the Bears that year? That is the Miami Dolphins, I believe. Which which leads me to a lot of points here in regard to that season. So the Chicago Bears lose one game that year. It's to the Dolphins on a Monday night game. Now, obviously, the game was in Miami. It was a situation where. Everything lined up for us that night. The Bears' starting quarterback, Jim McMahon, was out of the game. Again, the Dolphins were home. It was a Monday night game, and back then the games in the Orange Bowl were just – It was a madhouse. It was absolutely crazy. So with all that being said, the Dolphins did have some advantages in that game. But if you look back on it and – We're going to go forward now from that game. So the Dolphins give them their only loss of the year. We now move on to the AFC Championship game. And the Dolphins are playing at home against the wild card New England Patriots, who have already upset two teams, including the Oakland Raiders, to move on to the championship game against us. We go into the game. It's raining We are not a running football team. We are obviously a passing team. Marino, Clayton, Duper, all the boys are still there. We go into that game. We turn the ball over six times. Four of the turnovers result in 24 points for the Patriots. Turn the ball over in our own half. We wind up losing the football game to a Patriot team that we were definitely superior to. And this this is another situation like the 74 season where the better team did not win. Now, as I said, we turned the ball over six times. It results in 24 New England points. We can't get anything going offensively. New England, the rain favors them. They have... Craig James, Tony Collins, they are a running football team. They run all over us that night. Now, our defense was not very good at that point. They were starting to slip. A lot of the killer bees were getting old, long in the tooth. But they got the job done week in and week out to the point to where we were 
in the AFC Championship game and one game away from another Super Bowl. Now, with all that being said, we lose to New England. If we win that New England game, we go on to play a team that we had already beaten during the season. And again, we go back to McMahon didn't play. But but here, here's, here's some interesting things in regard to this. Now, Buddy Ryan was a very, very hard-headed coach. And he coached this 46 defense, and he wasn't going to change it in any way, shape, or form. Now, Chicago's weakness was their secondary. Uh, They had Dave Dewerson, who was a very solid player. They had Gary Fensick, another very solid player. He fit well into what they did up front. Uh, their, their, Their two corners were a guy named Mike Richardson and another guy named Leslie Frazier, who obviously went on to be a head coach in the NFL. Secondary was not that strong. They were slow. They were slow. You know what? You know what? I don't think Dan Marino cared who the secondary was. It didn't matter. But just to the point, their, their secondary was their weakness. Now, they had guys up front. They had a lot of Hall of Fame players, Richard Dent. Dan Hampton, Mike Singletary, to, you know, those are the three Hall of Famers. And they had other great players like, uh, uh, God, Otis Wilson and Refrigerator Perry. Our offensive line matched up extremely well against them. Marino's release matched up well against them. Our receivers on their cornerbacks matched up well against them. Not more in the slot they had no answer for here in Miami. So the interesting thing about the possibility of them going into that Super Bowl is the fact that the Bears may have had a better team than us, but we matched up better against them than they would have against us. They were not a juggernaut on offense either. They had Walter Payton, who was getting up there in age. Willie Golt was their main receiver. McMahon was in and out of the lineup. As a matter of fact, I think McMahon wound up playing in that Super Bowl, but he was playing hurt as well. So there were a lot of things that could have swayed the Dolphins' way in that Super Bowl. I will tell you this. Had we gone there, we may not have won that game, but we would have. it would have been a much better game than what New England showed. I think the final score was, what, 52-10 to 10 or something yeah, to that effect? Yeah, it was embarrassing. It was, hey, you know, Lou, we talked about this game earlier in the week, and uh, you made an observation that you should probably bring up now. Who did the Bears beat? The Bears beat, going into the Super Bowl that year, the Rams, who had a guy named Dieter Brock at quarterback. Eric Dickerson was their running back. And the Bears basically shut both the teams out that they played in the playoffs. I believe Dallas was the other team who had Danny White. They had an aging Tony Dorsett. They had a very, very easy path to the Super Bowl. Now, come playoff time, it's never easy. You still have to go out. You have to produce. And the Bears did it. They did it in an incredible way. But they had not faced an offense like the Miami Dolphins had. Marino was still at the top of his game, and the receivers were still at the top of the game. And Shula, preparation-wise, always had an answer to everything. The fact that Dwight Stevenson was able to handle Refrigerator Perry one-on-one was a major, major key in the game on Monday night, and there's no reason for me to believe that he wouldn't have done the same thing to him in the Super Bowl. That 
creates problems for the Bears because they were built defensively strictly on just annihilating the quarterback. It wasn't pressure. They sent everybody at them. And the fact that Marino was able to release the ball so quickly and our receivers were able to get downfield so quickly and the fact that we had so many other guys like Nat Moore in the slot and people like that really well, yeah, created the advantage mis- to their defense, the 46 defense, was you didn't know who was coming from where. Exactly. So it was designed to put a lot of pressure on your offensive line, and we had an experienced offensive line and a very talented one. No question about it. And then you had Marino with his release. So even if somebody did happen to slip up on the line, Marino was able to make the defense pay anyway. Yeah, we we matched up very good against the Bears. Uh, What they did and what they had so much success with didn't always work against against Dwight Stevenson, like you mentioned, and, and Stevenson could handle anybody. Uh, he was such a great center. He was incredible. Yeah, just amazing player. And, you know, that would have been uh, a much more exciting game to watch uh, because Dan Marino and the Dolphins would have, would have put up a lot more points than what the Patriots did. Oh, there's no question about it. Uh, New England's offense – just fed right into the Bears' defense. Uh, they they weren't a very good passing team. They had Tony Eason, Steve Grogan. They both actually played in the Super Bowl. They were a running team, and Chicago just ate them up alive. They couldn't move the football. They didn't have the offensive talent that we had to where we could spread the Bears out. You know, again, getting back to the, the Stevenson refrigerator Perry situation. When you've got a guy handling one of your defensive tackles one-on-one, it frees up your guards and maybe a fullback to pick up these blitzers. And that's that's why they were so effective on that Monday night game. And Buddy Ryan, as I as I touched on, <laughs> was not going to change. It, it, you know, he he would not have adapted. He would have said, listen, we're going out. We're playing the same damn defense we played all year, and if they beat us, they beat us. That's the type of coach he was. So, you know, he would have fed right into us. You know, Shula was, you know, a lot smart, a lot smarter guy in regard to adapting, and he didn't really have to. If he, if they were going to play that type of defense, then fine, bring it he to had us. Beat. That's right. right? He had beat. We're going to beat you. We're going to beat you. It's that simple. You don't have the talent in the secondary, and if you don't get to our quarterback – you're going to struggle all day. So it would have it would have made for an interesting game. One other thing that I want to point on, you know, in regard to a little bit of negatives going into the game. The interesting thing about the Chicago Bears that season was that they were the number one scoring team in the NFL that year. They actually scored more points than we did over the course of the year, but I didn't have the time to go back and see exactly how many points the defense actually yeah, scored probably for Probably as many as the offense. <laughs> yeah, and how many they actually set up. They may not have scored, but right. I'm sure they had a ton of turnovers uh, to where they were putting their offense in a very, very good position that year. Yeah, I mean, so, Walter, Walter Payton was playing that year, but he was a shell of himself at that point. Yeah, he, he really didn't have much. They had Willie Galt, right? He was he was explosive. He but. was he was their main offensive yeah. weapon. Their tight ends were very average. They, they were a very very solid team, but again, they were built strictly on that defense. defense. And, Come on, you and, you weren't scared of McMahon. 
<laughs> well, when he had the headband on, he looked kind of scary, but not with the helmet on, no. <laughs> not when he was on the football field, right? Right. <laughs> you know, oh, boy. You, you look at these two games that I mentioned, and, and they haunt me. They really do. And I'm glad that we're doing this show because they just there, – there are certain games and situations that you got – the what if question. My God, what if we would have just knocked that pass down in the end zone? What if it wasn't raining that night and we were able to, you know, not turn the ball over six times? And obviously, New England played in the same, uh, you know, they under the same circumstances. But the bottom line is, is that it benefited them to no question. They were like, Listen, I said, like I said, we were there, and that was the worst I ever saw a Dolphin team play in the Orange Bowl. That's not to say they haven't lost there before. But that was a game that was just absolutely miserable from start to finish. Right. You can you can basically say that they they handed them the game. When you hand a team twenty four, they're thirty one points. Yep. Oh, you know, on turnovers in your own end. And what does that tell you? And you know, Marino didn't have a particularly good game that night. But a lot of that had to do with the weather. They just yes. the receivers couldn't get out of there. Pat, it, it was it was a frustrating game. Really was. And yep. God, the Super Bowl. I mean, nobody wanted New England there playing the Bears. They wanted the Dolphins, Dolphins who, who were probably right. the, the the most exciting offense to watch at that point against the most exciting defense by question. Maybe one of the best defenses ever. I would say so. Without a doubt. So it, it would have made for an interesting Super Bowl, to say the least. Yeah. So that's mine. All right, guys. Anything else? Well, I do have one more pick, and I'll touch on it on a briefly. Uh, the 2013 draft, I'm sure, is still pretty pretty fresh on most people's minds. Uh, we picked a guy, Dion Jordan. We actually traded up to get him number three overall, and we all know how Dion uh, didn't didn't make much of a impact on our team. He's still not. He was going to be suspended yeah, for 10 he's, games he's, He was suspended. He was injured. Uh, when he was on the field, he wasn't very good. You know, just not an impact player. So we traded up to get him. We traded the, the number 12 pick and the number 42 pick that year to move up to number three. So looking at that draft, if we had stayed at number 12, we could have picked a guy by the name of Sheldon Richardson, who was a defensive tackle that's been very good. Uh, he played a couple different teams, but he's all he's often caused us a lot of Dolphins grief playing for the Jets. But had we selected Richardson number twelve, that would have been an anchor on our defensive line. And then in 2015, we probably would not have gone after Indomitian Sue, which would have saved us an enormous amount of, of cap money. Uh, you know, Richardson would have still been on a rookie deal, so we wouldn't have been pursuing Sue. We wouldn't have thrown all that money out the window. So it would have made a huge difference to the direction the team went from 2013 forward to present, realistically, if they'd re-signed Richardson, you know, we're in a totally different place than we're at right now. And when you go past that that first round into that second round pick, the, uh, the second rounder that we could have had was a guy by the name of Le'Veon Bell. Granted, we may not have needed a running back at the time, but 
you know, these these trade deals, man, you got to hit a home run to to trade that kind of draft capital for it. And Deion Jordan was definitely not a home run. And if we'd had Sheldon Richardson and Le'Veon Bell, uh, I'm pretty certain we'd be a lot better off right now. I wouldn't mind having Le'Veon Bell. I, I think he certainly would have <laughs> helped our running game. Not that I had a problem with Frank Gore last year, but uh, uh, you can't argue that that Bell, went, you know, when he's on the field, is one of the best backs in the league. And, and certainly, you know, who knows what they would have done if they had Richardson. Maybe they still would have gone after Sue. It's, it's hard to say because Tenenbaum was kind of unpredictable when it comes to that sort of thing. But uh, assuming you're right, and assuming you know they would have stuck with Jordan Phillips, uh, certainly you could have seen them using that cap money and going in a different direction, and maybe helping that defense so they weren't as bad, and maybe the team would have been a little more competitive. Yeah, uh, the the Sue thing was really really interesting because it really did handcuff us in regard sure to in regard to money, and if you have a Richardson here, then. You don't do maybe you don't do that, and uh, you go in a different direction, and maybe we have a quarterback right now. So yeah, it definitely had an effect. There's no question about it. The pick was absolutely horrible. That's the bottom line. I would have been happy with a kicker. <laughs> well, I mean, in the, in the first round, <laughs> in our in their defense, well, Mike, uh, he would have been more productive than least he would have scored points, right? Yeah, no kidding. I mean, Jordan was highly rated and all that jazz, but you you had to have seen all the red flags, and it's it's just Agreed. it's just not. Uh, you know, if you're going to trade that kind of draft capital, it's got to be a home run. You you're not you don't roll the dice doing that. I'm just going to say this. I'm not going to talk about Dion, but I'm going to talk about our coaching staff now. What is it they say they want? They want smart players. I think that's all that needs to be said. Agreed. Agreed. No question about it. You know, you got to have smart players. You got to have guys that love the game and have the right priorities. And they're smart. They're intelligent. Because these other guys that don't fit that bill, they cost you ball games. And, uh, uh, you know, you got to stay away from that. And, you know, I hopefully th- this regime will. All right, guys, it's been fun. Uh, well, not really. I hate looking back at this stuff. It's depressing. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, the what ifs. What it ifs. was fun. It was fun talking to you for an hour. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. Uh, thanks for joining me this evening. And, guys, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll be back next week. Anything else you guys want to add? I just got a big fins up. Oh, I got my fins up too. Fins up, Dolphins. <laughs> <laughs>